Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville Church on this day where you're not sure if you should wear long sleeve or short sleeve. And when that happens, you know that you're getting close to Thanksgiving week and we are at it. So Thanksgiving's got to be the best holiday for some reasons. So you can say Christmas for other reasons and so forth. But Thanksgiving always happens on Thursday. So you always get, for most people, a five-day holiday. Nobody really works on Wednesday. If you do, you're wasting your time. You get off on Friday, at least mentally you do, and you have the weekend. So it's a five-day holiday. Every year, it never changes. For those are a little OCD, then that works out great for you. Also, you can eat, eat. Thanksgiving is an eating holiday. It's based around eating and pies. It's the best there is. I know you eat a lot at Christmas, but you just replace all the present giving from Christmas and you replace it with food for Thanksgiving. And so you give food and you eat food. You get to see family, whether you love them or not, you get to see them, so that can go either way. But I love my family, so we get to spend time with them. That is always a blessing. Um, the last thing is, truly, it is an opportunity to be thankful for all that we have, because we are blessed without measure. The fact that we live even a day, we are blessed, and that we live for 80, 90 years, we are truly blessed. And, uh, but when we die at 93, if you're past 93, great. But when we die, we get a greater blessing than that. Anything here in life. We'll get to heaven and look back and go, what in the world was I doing back there? <laughs> what a blessing it is. So this week, enjoy it. Whether you wear a sweater or a short sleeve or short shorts, just enjoy your week and have a happy Thanksgiving. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. CF's been continuing on in John. He'll be in John for a few more Thanksgivings. <laughs> but a true blessing. We'll talk about it again next year. 12, starting in verse 12. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your word and your truth to be made known to us, that your spirit will move through CF's words, through the reading of your word, Lord, through the circumstances of life and the things that we're experiencing, the things that we go home to, the things that we'll experience this week, that your word becomes true in our lives, that we see it, we remember it, we see you at work, and Lord, that we know who you are our Savior, our Lord, our Creator, the one who loves us beyond measure, beyond all that we could ever imagine. And we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Got your Bibles, open them to that passage that uh, he read. And uh, good to be here this morning. I spent this week at a... Uh, spiritual awareness event at a female unit and went very well and hopefully at the end of the service I can share something about that with you uh, because it was good it was an enjoyable time but we're going to take a look today at verses 12 and 13 
It says the deity of Christ, the children of God, part one. And so we're going to look at it, part one, part two. And then I hope to go back and do verses one through 13, kind of like a con cohesive little group because we get in 14 shifts gears. The word becomes flesh and begins to deal more in that aspect. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll take a look this morning. Father God, we come in prayer and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray for this time together. We ask God for your divine guidance and insight that you would grant us understanding and comprehension as we look at your word, that you would direct me in my teaching and help me to rightly divide your word of truth and explain it clearly and accurately and that your people would receive it. And we're grateful to you for it. And we pray and ask this of you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You begin here, if you look at verse 12, verse 12 begins with a word, but. And so that tells you right off the bat, there's a contrast. So to understand the contrast, you get to go back and look at what was said before it. And what is said before it is in verse 11, what we looked at last week, said he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And I told you I took the position on own was not the creation he didn't come to his own creation, he came to his own people. Well, I look at it is in verse 10 where he says he was in the world and the world was made through him, the world did not know him. And it says he came to his own. I don't take it that he is talking about the world. He's talking about the Jewish people because that's who he came to. He came to his own, came to the Jewish people, uh, presenting himself as the Messiah. And what those Jewish people do uh, tells you right there at the end of verse 11, his own did not receive him. Then you begin this passage and it says, but as many as received him. So you have the flip side of it is a hinge in the passage there to where one, one side has said, no, this, this side here is saying yes. And it uses the two words as many. And so what would that tell you? When you see the words as many, well, it means any person, any person can receive him. It wasn't that he came just to his own, but it says, but as many as received him and the as many there is the Jew and the Gentile. It's the rich and the poor. It's the educated and the uneducated. It's all people regardless of what affiliation they had of what association they had. So, but as many as received him. Now that word received there is the word lambano. Lambano means to receive, to take, to grasp, or to accept. And lambano is in what you call the aorist tense. And all that simply means is this, a moment in time. It means a decision was made, okay? It's not an ongoing thing. It's at a specific moment people received him. All right. They believed on him. It's active voice, which means they made a choice. They made a decision. So these people received him based upon a decision that they made. All right. Now, when you read in the and you're going to see that he's going to conclude this in verse 13 at the very end. He's going to say, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 
So right at the beginning of verse 12, you have them receiving him, all people, making a choice. And then you see down at the end of 13, anyone that is born is born of God. So you see both sides of the coin. You have God active in salvation. You have man believing in salvation. And so Bible is very balanced in that approach is, is man has to believe, okay, but God has to save. And so it's pretty clear that God is the author of salvation. But so it says, but as many as received him, they believed on his name. How did they receive him? The end of verse 12, those who believed in his name. So there's a basis upon which they receive him. It also says something else. It says, but as many as received them, he gave the right. The word uh, he gave is didomai. And didomai means uh, to give. And it's based upon a decision of the will of the giver. Okay? So God made the decision to give. To give what? The right. The next word there it says, but as many receive them, he gave the right to become children of God. The word right means to permit or to make lawful, okay, or to grant authority. So what the passage is telling us is, as many as received them, he gave them the authority to become children of God. All right. Now I want to look at this word authority Go back to Mark 2. If you're going your Bibles to Mark 2, I want you to see a passage there. And if you will, in Mark 2, uh, look at verse 8. Uh, back up. Let's go to uh, verse 5. Mark 2 and 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, what they've done is tore the roof off this building and they lowered a person in there to be in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. The word there, power, power on earth, you'll back up to verse 10, back up to verse 10. If you look at verse 10 there, where it says power, that's the same word, authority. That Christ had the authority. He, he, he possessed the authority to forgive sins. Now you also see where he'll delegate authority. Go to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, and look if you will at verse seven. Mark 6 and 7, he called the 12 to him and he began to send them out two by two 
And he gave them power over unclean spirits. That word power is the word authority. All right. There's another word power, which which means energy or force. And that's the word dunamis. But that's not the word used. The word used here is the same word it was used in John 1. So they were granted authority to do something. They were granted the right to do something. They were allowed to do something. And in this case, they were allowed or they were grant, granted the right to have authority over unclean spirits. Okay, where did that authority come from? Authority came from God. You can also see it used in a secular sense. Turn to Acts chapter 26 and we'll look at the same word used there. This is when Paul was given authority to go and arrest people in the church. So I want you to uh, look at Acts chapter 26, uh, verse 10. Acts 26, 10. Paul sharing a uh, testimony with King Agrippa here. Okay. I'm trying. Verse 10. Then I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. So you see him use the word twice. He was granted authority by the religious ruling body to go forth and to make these arrests and to persecute these people. Couldn't do that on his own, but he was given authority to do it. And so when we think of our verse, uh, verse 12 of that first chapter of John, we are granted the authority by God. God gives us the authority to be his children. Permission, if you will. Lawful. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And if you'll look in 2 Corinthians 10, I want you to look at, uh, look at verse 8. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 10, 8. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. What authority is this? Paul was granted the authority by God to be an apostle. Okay? So let's go back to verse 1 of John, pick up where we left off. So it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, if you'll notice something, receiving him, it denotes a, a relationship there. You're receiving Christ. And when you're receiving Christ, you're entering into a relationship with Christ. Very often you hear people refer to salvation like that. They'll say, I have a relationship with Christ. Or sometimes they'll even speak of their salvation. They say, I was at church, I went forward, I prayed, and I received Christ. All right? But you've got to get more specific. And that more specific is, I believed in his name. 
I trusted in the person of Christ because you don't just receive Christ because you, you just he just jumps on you. You've got to believe in his name. All right. You've got to you've got to believe in him. And so we look at our passage, he says, but as many as received him to them, those that received him become the children of God. All right. So what is the mark of a child of God? A child of God is a person that has received Christ. How did they receive Christ? The last part of that verse, they believed in his name. All right. So it's making a very clear distinction. And I, and I focus on that and I make comment about that for this reason. There's a common misconception today that, uh, that everyone in the world is a child of God. I mean, you, you'll hear that statement that so-and-so is a child of God or aren't we all child, children of God? And I remember a couple of talk show people. I remember Phil Donahue from back in the 80s, uh, somewhat date myself there because that's, that's hard to believe, but you realize mid-80s, early 80s were 40 years ago. That's, that's kind of hard to believe. It doesn't seem like that long. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, Donahue was... A, you, know, you get depressed, you get on it too long. Uh, 40 years, you think about that. That's just, that's mind-boggling. That, yeah. But he would sit there and he would get Christian leaders on his program and he would say things like, well, who exactly is a child of God? I don't know if you ever remember these conversations. Are you saying that not everyone is a child of God? And they would always go to something. What about this Jewish person or this Muslim person or Hindu person? It's very sincere in their faith. Are you saying that they are not children of God? All right. Because, see, there's a general consensus that everyone belongs to God. There's also a general consensus that when people die, everyone goes to heaven. It's like a given uh, in the equation. But when you open a Bible and read the Bible, the Bible is very clear. That's just not the case. All right. Not everyone is a child of God. Now, having said that, I'll say this. We are all offspring of God. Okay? And the Bible addresses that. If you got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 17. Go to Acts chapter 17. And Acts 17 deals with this. Um, Paul speaking to the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill and he begins to address this. So we're just going to look at verse 29, Acts 17, 29. So if you open your Bibles there, Acts 17, 29, he says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God. Okay. Now, when he uses we there, he's speaking to Greek philosophers that are not believers. He's speaking to people that are not of the family of faith. And so he says, in that passage, he said, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Well, that's exactly what the Greek philosophers were doing. They had reduced the image of God to some kind of an idol. And Paul's saying, look, we're the offspring of God. Why would we go and create something out of stone or something like that? When, when that's not what we're like and, we, and we've come from God, we're his offspring. And you see that very clear. God shows his love and God shows common grace on all mankind. 
there's verses of scripture that address it. It says rain, or God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Okay? So you see God blesses people whether they're in his family or not. We are the offspring of God in the physical sense of the word, okay? As human beings. Because all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And because we're created in the image and likeness of God, we have that general relationship with God. But because of sin, man has become separated from God. All right? Man is dead in his trespasses and, and his sins, and he is no longer in a relationship with God because of his sin. Turn to Ephesians, if you will. We're going to deal with that part of the situation first. Ephesians 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to look beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at 1 through 3. He says, And you he made alive. Now who is the you in this passage? Well, the you goes back to Ephesians 1.1, where Paul addresses the book to a group of people. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints who are in Ephesus, saints is an abbreviation of the word sanctified ones. So a saint is not a statue in a church. A saint in reality is a person that has been sanctified or set apart by Christ. Okay. Sanctification means God has set you apart. Okay. The root of that word is holy. To be holy means to be set apart. So a believer, because of their faith in Christ, has been set apart. Where have we been set apart? We've been set apart in Christ Jesus. We're sanctified in Christ. Now, we're justified in Christ, too. We're declared righteous. So when we come to faith in Christ, what God does is he places us in Christ, and we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's our position. In our condition here on earth, we're to live out our life to reflect that eternal relationship. Our condition should reflect our position with him. And so when he addresses this, he addresses it to the saints who are in Ephesus. And look at this, faithful in Christ Jesus. Speaking of their relationship, their position, they are in Christ. They are born again believers. Now go to chapter 2, verse 1, and he's going to remind them of their past. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. See, before a person becomes a child of God, they are dead in their trespasses and sin. What does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sin? It does not mean that you cease to exist. It simply means you do not respond to the things of God. Your spirit is dead to them. Does not mean that you're not spiritual. A person can be a spiritual person without have, having a relationship with Christ. Now, that, that spirituality is not true biblical spirituality, but it is spirituality. For example, there are, what, 5,000-something religions in the world? I know that in the prison system, we have 461 religions that, that are in there uh, to include the spaghetti monster. Yeah, the sp spaghetti monster religion is in there. 
And uh, there's all kinds of crazy things in there. People concoct religions all the time. Why? Because man is a spiritual being. Even though he's dead to God, he doesn't respond to God. He still can respond to the spirit world. And hence you have the world of the demons and the demonic activity and such. That stuff is real and people respond to it. Okay. So when he says you're dead in your trespasses and sin, what that means is you're dead to the true and living God. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's every one of us in here. See, a lot of people, when they come to faith in Christ, they forget where they came from. There was a time in your life where you were a rotten, corrupt person. All right. You say, no, I wasn't. I've, all, I've been good my whole life. Well, then you are a rotten, corrupt person that is very deceived. OK, <laughs> we'll put it that way. But all of us are. We're, we're broken people. We're sinful people. We're separated from God. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We can't relate to God. We don't have the ability to relate to God. OK, because we're dead. We're dead. And we come to what is probably one of the most famous uses of but in the Bible. Verse four, but God. I know for a fact, this is my wife's favorite verse. She, when she talks to people all the time, she's always using that. She goes, but God, if it wasn't for God, I'd be just like you. But God, that's the difference. That's the hinge, folks. The difference between being under the power of your sin and being dead in your trespasses and sin is God. Apart from God, I am right there. That's who I am. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, but God. When BJ's up there leading worship, in our minds, it's but God. Had not been for God, I would not be here worshiping him. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. See, God makes us alive. That is the idea of receiving Christ. When that person receives Christ, God brings his human spirit alive and God's spirit comes within that person. OK, and they are brought into that relationship and they become a child of God. So not everyone is a child of God, but let's look at some usages of that. Look, if you would, at John chapter 11 and see where we have a reference to children of God. John chapter 11 and uh, verse 52. John 11 and 52. I'm going to back up to 51, put it in context, but just keep your finger on 52. Now this he did, uh, now this he did not say on his, on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. This is a, the high priest is making a true prophecy. And it says, not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. 
And so what this high priest is saying is that not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles are going to be brought in too. And they're going to become one family. They're going to become the children of God. Probably one of the most clear examples would be in 1 John chapter 3. And if you just flip over to 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 3 in the back of your Bible. Very clear passage there. 1 John 3 and 1. 1 John 3 and 1 says this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And see, that's referencing at one time we weren't, but now we are. Now we're in this relationship. Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's the blessed hope. When Christ reveals himself and we receive our glorified bodies, we'll be just like him. We'll be united with him in that newness and we'll be brought together in oneness. That word that is used there for children of God, the word children is the word technon. Technon is the word. And you know what it means? It means to bring forth or to bear children. Okay, it's, it's used in the same way for the physical birth and it's used just in likeness for the spiritual birth. So just as a person is physically born into the physical world, they are spiritually born into the spiritual world. And who is our father? It is God. It's God. Is our physical birth. I had an earthly father and I had an earthly mother who both passed on to be with the Lord. But I also have a spiritual father and my spiritual father is God and he birthed me into his family and therefore I am a child of God. Look in Romans chapter nine. Romans chapter nine addresses this too. If you'll look in Romans, the ninth chapter. And I want you to look at verse six, Romans nine and six. Paul is talking about Israel and, and, and the true people of God. He says, but, verse 6, Romans 9, 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now it's important, notice seed, it's singular. Okay, it's not plural. He's not talking necessarily physical offspring. The seed of Abraham. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. Okay, not by physical birth. But the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. If you remember back in Genesis, Abraham was married to Sarah and God said, I promise through you many nations will be born through the seed of Sarah. Well, she's past childbearing. She can't have a child. And I'm old. And so what do they do? They concoct another plan. They come up with Hagar. Hagar has a son, Ishmael. 
but he's always referred to as the son of the flesh because it was Abraham's plan. It wasn't God's plan. God's plan was spiritual. And so then later Sarah conceives. And so that's the child of promise. And he said, the children of God come through the child of promise. Let's go back even further. Go back to Genesis chapter three and let's take a look back there where the dividing line really happened. In Genesis, the third chapter, this is where God is putting a curse on the serpent. And so we're looking Genesis 3.14. And it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, singular, and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So you see there, there is a seed of the serpent and there is a seed of the woman. The way you would do it in John, you would put it like this. There are children of darkness and there are children of light. There are the unredeemed and there are the redeemed. So there are two basic types of people in the world today, the redeemed and the unredeemed, the children of flesh, the children of the spirit. All right. The, the, the distinguishing between the two. One more passage that I want to look at on this is Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, he addresses this subject of the children of God. Look at Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2. 2.14 says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Don't be grumbling, don't be complaining. That you may become blameless and harmless Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, let's clarify something. When he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. He's not saying that by doing that, that's how you become a blameless or harmless child of God as if entering into the faith. He's writing us to people that are in the faith. And what he's telling them is you need to work on your condition so that you will become blameless and harmless. You will reflect what your position is. All right. He said you should be that kind of person. You should be a person that lives to the glory of God without fault and is blameless and harmless without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So that is how the child of God should live. And so a child of God, clearly as seen in scripture, is a person that receives Christ and is born into the family of God. We come out of the offspring of God because we're a created human being, we're a part of the creation. But then there's a specific relationship and that specific or better defined relationship is, I am a child of God and I'm child of God why? Look at John 1. Look at John 1 and 12 again. Flip back to that passage. But as many as received him, that's that relational relationship that we're in. 
To them he gave the right to become children of God. And then he says, to those who believe in his name. So he defines very clearly in this passage, one of the clearest passages in the Bible. If someone has ever asked you, how do I become a child of God? You have to receive Christ by believing in him. Very clear passage, very easy to understand. There's nothing difficult about that. But you become a child of God by, by receiving Christ, by believing in his name. All right. And what happens when you do that? Look at Romans 8. Just flip over to Romans 8. We'll kind of conclude out with this passage. Romans chapter 8. Don't get excited when I said we're going to conclude with this passage. I mean, I'm getting close to the end. Okay, we're not there. Don't start folding your Bibles up. And, all right. Look at Romans 8 and look at verse 16. It says, the spirit himself, okay, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, it's that inner witness. It means God's spirit bears witness with our human spirit. See, as a, as a human, you have a spirit. Your spirit is dead to the things of God. But when you're born again, God brings your spirit alive. In addition to that, when he brings your spirit alive, God comes, God's spirit comes to live within you. And God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And verse 17, and if children, heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Heirship comes through suffering. Heirship comes through suffering. Relationship comes through faith. Okay? As you suffer for Christ, you are an heir of Christ. You're joining into his suffering. You become a part of his suffering. And this, and this usage there in verse 16, I didn't say this. I need to go back and address it. Where it says in 816, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It, that's continually that's continually present. It means God just continues to bear witness with us that we belong to him over and over and over again. So let's go back to John, kind of tie that passage up, wrap it up. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And see, so you receive Christ. What God did and what John is saying in this thing, he's going to conclude this here in verse 13. Then he's going to say in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's going to present Christ as the sacrifice of God, as the lamb of God. And so this word takes on a human body. The logos of God becomes incarnate. And he veils his glory so, he, so you can walk with him. The disciples could see him. The people could see him. He is God in a human body. So he is the perfect Messiah is what he is. He is 100% God because we just read about that in previous verses. He created the heavens and earth before anything was. He existed. All this stuff. Verse 14, he's going to become incarnate and he's going to come here on earth. 
and he's going to live a sinless life. He's going to keep all 613 commandments of the law. He's going to be perfect in every aspect of the law, never transgressing a single one. And then what is he going to do? He's going to go to the cross as God's sacrifice, as the Lamb of God. Prior to him had been many lambs, but now the true Lamb of God has come. And what does John say that lamb's going to do? That lamb is going to take away the sin of the world. He's not going to cover it like an Old Testament lamb. He's going to take it away. And so when that person, myself or yourself, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, what Christ has done on your behalf is that as a perfect man, he lived a sinless life. Therefore, he is a perfect sacrifice. So he takes human sin, my sin, and he takes that sin upon himself. My sin is placed upon him. The wrath of God is poured out upon him. And my sin is judged on the person of Christ. And then Christ dies for my sin. And then he's raised again to show that he has, that God has received payment for my sin. And because of that, I believe in his name. I believe that Jesus is the only sacrifice for my sin. I believe in his name. And when I do, I receive him. When I receive him, I become a child of God. And that's how God's plan works out for us. Not everyone is a child of God. Just those who have received him. Those who have believed in his name. We become the children of God. And that's contrasted with those who rejected him. And so if you're here today and you have received Christ... You are a child of God, and you can rejoice in that and, and take great joy in that. We're going to have an invitation at this time, and I extend the invitation to you. BJ comes to lead us in the music. Have you received Christ? Have you received him? Have you believed in his name? Do you believe that he is the only sacrifice for your sin, that he is the only hope for your sin? Believe on him. Receive him, and you'll receive forgiveness of sin. Please stand and join us as we sing. And I'll be down front with the other elders and some of them's wives will be here. And that's if you're a woman and you prefer to pray with a woman, you can. Debbie Keel will be here. She's our women's minister uh, and she's over our women's ministry. If you'd like to come pray with her, you can do that. It's just an opportunity for you to respond to the, to the message today. And uh, so we provide that for you. If you need prayer for something else, Feel free to come for that too, okay? But join us as we sing, as BJ leads us. <laughs>